Welcome to Sermons from St. David's, a ministry of St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield, Michigan. It's a chance for us to share a good word of challenge, inspiration, and hope as we walk the journey of faith together. You're welcome to join us on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. for live in-person worship. You can also join our 10 a.m. Eucharist via Zoom. Just go to our website for the meeting ID and password at stdavidssf.org. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, let your will be done through us. Amen. Now, there's an uplifting text for us this morning. Well, let me begin uh, by relating a story to you. After a nasty storm in the South Pacific, two Englishmen aboard a huge ocean liner, they were washed ashore on the same desert island. One castaway found himself on the east side of the island. The other castaway found himself on the west side of this small desert island. Over time, they set up two separate camps. Thus, they built houses. They set out fishing lines. They did what they could to survive. And then after three years, a passing ship captain noticed activity on the island and he came to the rescue. And after locating both castaways, hearing their stories, the captain took off his hat, he scratched his head and he asked in total disbelief, you mean you two guys were living on this same small island for the last three years and you've never met each other? Why? Well, one of the castaways turned to him and said, we've never been properly introduced. While many of us have English blood coursing through our veins, no matter how diluted, let's hope that the genes that may give us the tendency to act likewise have been thoroughly flushed out of our systems by now. Because as you and I ponder today's words of Jesus, these very serious words of Jesus, it's apparent that you and I are not to do as these Englishmen did, and to sit around waiting for things to happen, but to take initiative, to be motivated, to ignore social constraints, to instigate, to do what needs to be done to fulfill our purposes. You and I gather here today under this verdant canopy and under hopefully dry skies, and we come here this morning to live lives, to help ourselves live lives of obedience to God, who has the world's well-being as a core concern. And that well-being comes, and that well-being comes to us as we endeavor to make Jesus more central in our lives. Jesus Christ, who promises contentment freedom from worry, and a confidence that somehow, someway, it'll all work out. Maybe you're here this morning feeling distant from your purpose. Maybe the loud clamor of societal division, of social injustice, of economic and racial inequality. Maybe the weight of our world and its incumbent responsibilities for childcare, for financial resources, for healthy relationships, and all that goes into living happy lives. Maybe that seems far from us this morning. Well, Jesus is here to remind us that when we pursue our purpose, our main purpose, which is to channel God's love into the world through our own unique personhood, using our own unique constellation of gifts, that we can't help but keep some of that love for ourselves. It's a love that puts all things in perspective. It's a healing balm. It's a treasury of assurance, reminding us that no matter what we've done, no matter how we've acted, no matter what we've said, no matter what we've done, there's forgiveness and there's acceptance in God. And the more we aim to live out God's purposes in our lives, 
the better things just seem to go. And so this morning we're going to hear four important pieces of advice, four ways for us to be better followers, better disciples. Jesus tells us how to achieve the yearning of our hearts, which is to live in love, to live in God, to have Christ in us, and for us to be in Christ. And we notice that Jesus is not going to force his way into our lives. That's the reason for that first story. Jesus waits for us to invite him, for us to take initiative. You know, St. Paul certainly was famous for that wonderful saying, draw near unto God, and God will draw near to you. Draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. That's just how God works. So friends, let's look at these four things that will help us draw close to God, who in drawing closer to us make us better followers of Christ, better Christians, who more fully influence our world for the good. Like a lot of you saints, I like stand-up comedy. My wife knows it. My children know it. And you know who else knows it? Google. That's right. Whenever I go on a web search, whenever I'm perusing through a website, social media, there often appears a little clip, a little ad, a little digital image beckoning me to click on and listen to some kind of stand-up comedy. This doesn't just occur when I'm, I'm doing some leisurely scrolling on my laptop, but when I'm trying to write important emails, write a sermon, write a book, then up will pop that tempting and alluring clickbait of a stand-up comedy bit. And all too often, friends, I'll take the bait and I'll enjoy a joke, or two, or three. And the work I was hoping to get done will be delayed. So maybe you can understand why I love stand-up comedy, but I hate stand-up comedy. This helps me understand this first bit of advice from Jesus and this understandably disturbing statement. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, brother and sister, wife and children, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. When do we hate things we love, folks? when they keep us from doing what we want to do. The work God has for us is that serious. The roles you and I play as we develop and share our gifts as teachers, as engineers, as parents, as retirees, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. The ways we channel God's will into the world by being kind and forgiving and reconciling, Jesus wants us to do the hard work of prioritizing this, friends. These difficult words of Jesus are to grab our attention and to get us back on the road of the things, of doing the things that matter. Moving aside the things that get in the way. Casting aside the things that are not helping and grabbing hold of the mission that God has for us. Hating the things we love to make room for the things that matter. Anybody heard of Tom Seaver out there? old enough people here to remember Tom Seaver. It was at his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. It was in Cooperstown. He was elected actually by the highest ever percentage of people getting elected to that hall, at least at that time. Gave us insight into how he compiled a uh, record of 311 wins, 3,640 strikeouts, an ERA of 2.86, all while pitching until he was 42 years of age. Pitching, Tom Seaver said, determines everything. It determines what I eat. It determines when I go to bed. It determines what I do when I'm awake. It determines how I spend my life when I'm not pitching. If it means I have to come to Florida and can't get tanned 
because I might get a burn that would keep me from throwing for a few days, I don't go out into the sun without my shirt on. If it means I have to remind myself to pet dogs with my left hand or throw logs on the fire with my left hand, then I do that. If it means in the winter I eat cottage cheese instead of a chocolate chip cookie in order to keep my weight down, then I eat cottage cheese. Now, if you think Tom Seaver's life sounds a bit grim, well, that's not how Tom Seaver sees things. He says this, pitching is what makes me happy. I've devoted my life to it. I've made up my mind that that's what I want to do. I'm happy when I pitch well, so I do only those things that make me happy. Carrying the cross, that's Jesus' second admonition to us this morning. It's like that. Following Jesus is what makes us happy. It's what we've devoted our lives to. It's what we've made up our minds to do. And what we want to do. That's why we're here. Those priorities and difficult exercises that you all have been practicing all week when you've been kind and selfless and generous, they're not to be considered as onerous, oppressive, or burdensome, but the foundation stones of building a great life, a Hall of Fame life. Maybe you came to church this morning feeling the weight of that cross. What might Jesus be saying to us? Be encouraged. When you do the right thing, you're doing the right thing. Work through the pain of generosity, of forgiveness, and letting go of grudges. You can do it. Jesus says, I am here. Well, as you probably know, 50% uh, of the world's wealth today is owned by 1% of the people. It's never been higher. And at the top of that 1% are those who are labeled ultra-high net worth individuals. And they are defined as people who have at least $30 million in investable assets. Currently, there are 167,669 people in the world who fit in that category. And if you've ever aspired to be one of those 167,669 people, then you're normal. However, if you think this would lead to your ultimate contentment, fulfillment, happiness, and your ability to follow Jesus might be increased, well, you're most likely very wrong. Brooke Harrington, who studies this subject, she's a sociologist at Dartmouth, and she describes the financial lives of the 167, 669 people. And she says that for the most part, they are consumed by the job of protecting their wealth through tax avoidance, through debt reduction, through using complicated and intricate financial instruments and corporations to play cat and mouse with tax authorities and debtors, not to mention the constant monitoring of potentially renegade relatives who might try to poison the pot. Harrington says that the lives of these 167,669 people are unlike anything you and I know. They are, for the most part, lived internationally, flitting from estate to yacht to winter home to island getaway, passport often optional due to the private jets and harbors that only they have access to. Harrington describes a life wholly detached from a sense of responsibility to the common good, the realities of taxation and its beneficiaries, and the depth of compassion that Jesus urges us all to embody. And folks, I want to be clear, it's not because 167, 669 are bad people at all. It's because the lies that they've been given make it very difficult for them to count the cost. Of course, we'd all love to go to Paris for dinner. I'm available. 
or sit in the fifty yard line box at the super bowl or how would you like to just walk into any store of any kind and buy anything you wanted and never even check the price tag but harrington's research suggests that the price of doing this is very very high and that's what jesus is trying to get at with his third piece of advice watch what you wish for think through the journey you're taking count the costs we have but one life to live one chance to make our life for love our mark of love upon the world i love the jesuit idea that everything that's been created has been created to point to god and to give glory to god this is a perspective jesus asked us to live into what are some of the things that we're doing that are just too expensive to our spiritual lives what habit what possession what hobby or other pursuit do we need to question this morning how is jesus asking us to count the cost well speaking of costs the price of eggs used to be consigned to the kroger ads now they're on the headlines soaring food and fuel prices the talk of the town why because these have a way of stoking our fears what we eat, how we get where we're going, the costs that take away from our IRAs, our vacation budgets, even mortgage payments and medicines are things we can't help but think about because they're important. And because they're important, we think about them, we worry about them. So when Jesus says, therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you do not give up all your possessions, we are justifiably troubled at these difficult words. But is Jesus really suggesting that the only way to follow him is for each one of us? To consign ourselves to abject poverty or is he after the more important aspect of our daily worries urging us instead to abandon all earthly things upon which we have placed trust hope and confidence after all this is what our possessions can give us trust hope confidence and that's not what they're intended to do they're intended to point us to god how often I look at the food and the gasoline and the paychecks to supply my needs when guess who supplies my needs? God, right? It's not the paycheck. It's not the gasoline price. It's, it's not the food price. They're just God's vehicles. So getting rid of our possessions is really about getting rid of our attachment to our possessions, making sure that the things we're most attached to are God. What does that look like in our lives this morning? What realignment of our priorities do they demand? In what ways is Jesus asking us to loosen up our attachments to things and strengthen our attachments to him? Well, in case you missed it this morning, there's something new across my left shoulder here. It's our latest interactive exhibit, this one inviting us to contemplate a difficult and distasteful aspect of our common lives, gun violence, gun safety. Like it or not, the number one killer of children in our country and in our state is guns. Half of the guns in the world that are owned by civilians are owned by Americans. Through information that we've gathered from the Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office, this year we are counting everyone in Oakland County who has died because of gun violence. The monuments you see, they're current through the month of August. Each month we will update this exhibit. That's why it looks kind of the way it does. These monuments are color-coded, so at a glance you can see that the front row, the white, these are children, those under 18. The second row, the gray, those are homicides. And the huge row in back 
our suicides inside our little library here you'll be able to pick out a little booklet it's a nine page booklet and it outlines the reality of of what we have in front of us i urge you to all pick one up it will help us hopefully walk through what this means in our lives you will find information on it in in on an initiative here in this handout from our bishop and our diocese and we're all involved in it it's called end gun violence michigan you can read about it as i mentioned in this booklet now i realize not everybody is is uh, has this as a big topic in their in their minds or in their lives and that's okay it doesn't have to be for you but it is important in the life that we're living today next to me you can't really see it too well from where you are there's a prayer wall on it you can write your own prayer request regarding your desire for the cessation of gun violence in our community Additionally, we are currently in talks with our Oakland County Commissioners who are working on a pilot program in our county for gun buybacks, one of which we may host here in our parking lot in October. Stay tuned for details on that. When this idea was first proposed, it did not receive unanimous support. Who are we to publicize or encourage dialogue and action on such a contentious and admittedly difficult subject? But in light of our gospel this morning, we must ask, who are we not to instigate? something like this we all know that god did not put us here to lay back eat our bonbons watch our soap operas there are serious problems that are facing us and it is our faith it is jesus who invites you and me to look at them squarely and soberly and ambitiously jesus didn't just sit around waiting for things to happen friends hate the things you love when they get in the way of bigger things Count the costs. What we want is not always what we need. Carry the cross. It will give us the life that we're looking for. Sell all your possessions, breaking the attachments that keep us centered on earthly things and not heavenly things. Our Savior, our mission, our ultimate fulfillment can be found here. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. And may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.